Welcome to another Restoration Church Life podcast. My name is Nathan Knight. I am one of the overseers, pastors, elders of Restoration Church. And with me is... Joey, I'm one of the other of the pastors of Restoration Church. We have a couple more, Chris and Nick. And why are we doing this podcast, Nathan? Yeah, we're doing this because we have recommended to you, Restoration Church, uh, a new elder that will be voted on, Lord willing, at the next members meeting, which is on January the... What's 26th. 26th at... 5 p.m. 5 p.m. So uh, we've put that before you at the last members meeting. And one of the things that somebody mentioned to us, which I thought was a good suggestion, is since it's it's been four years, Joey, can you believe that, since Nick Teku was brought on? Or was it was it Kyle Mays at that point? It was Kyle. Yeah. But as, anyway, yeah. Anyway, it's been a number. It's been a while since we've recommended a new elder to come on. And so some of you have never experienced that. You don't know what that is. Maybe you've never experienced congregationalism, uh, which we'll define in a moment. Uh, nor have you experienced voting for an elder, a pastor. You don't know what in the world all this stuff is. So, and where is this stuff even in the Bible? Uh, well, let's find out, Joey. Shall so, we? let's ask and answer a few questions. Yes. As we as we walk from uh, really kind of a Bible answers, like what is a congregational authority and those types of things, and then we're going to end up with well, how does this happen at Restoration Church? Mm-hmm. So, theory, Bible theory to practice. Mm-hmm. So, to start off, Nathan, what is a congregationally governed church? What is congregational authority? Yeah, so when you hear the word Baptist, right, there's, that normally means two things. So uh, we uh, are convictionally Baptistic, namely, we believe that only believers should be baptized, and secondly, the congregation of believers should govern themselves. In other words, there shouldn't be a group of five or six churches governing Restoration Church. Restoration Church should govern itself. And the reason why we believe that is because we believe the Bible be- teaches what's called the priesthood of all believer. Priesthood of all believer, the best way to illustrate this is that moment, that beautiful moment when Jesus dies, right? And there's the veil in the temple, and it tears from top to bottom. And that veil was dividing, right? The the priests that were only one priest was allowed to go into that veil once a year. And it was meant to illustrate that when Jesus dies and makes atonement for his people, Therefore, all that repent to believe and trust in him, now that veil is torn. Now all of us can go in and meet with him. By the way, just sidebar here, when you're talking to Roman Catholics, that's a great verse to bring up to talk to them about. So we believe that the Bible teaches the priesthood of all believers. Therefore, all of us are priests, right? So is, so Joey is, I'm a priest. Are you a priest? Lord willing, yes, I am. Is Catherine Feliciano a priest? Yes, every member, as far as we can tell, is a priest. Meaning they have the direct access to God. That's right. And so, therefore, that defines, that begins to orient why we believe uh, in what's called a congregational polity or church government. Uh, Maybe, Joey, can you take us a quick little – can you skip a rock from Matthew 16 to Matthew 18 to solidify this? Yeah, so we're – so real quick, but go back and get, what is it? What is congregational authority? Like when we're talking about what is it? Oh, yes. So, yeah, I, I gave you the answer as to why we believe it. I didn't tell you what it is. Yeah, so what it is is that the congregation, uh, that is the members of Restoration Church, the defined membership of Restoration Church, uh, is the final authority outside of, the, you know, leaning under the Scripture, sitting under the Scripture, uh, the members of Restoration Church are the final authority for the who and the what of the gospel. Uh, namely, the who is the 
well, the what is the actual message, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, his ascension, his atonement, all that, the gospel. That's the what we guard, the what the congregation guards, the what and the who, namely the people that we've looked at and evaluated to make sure that they've been born again. They believe that gospel. That's the who. So the who is the members that believe the what death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That's what congregationalism. We have the final authority uh, on the who and the what of the gospel. And so at Restoration Church, that means the congregation has final authority on issues of membership, both recommendations and resignations and discipline. There's the who. It also has uh, the final authority on leaders, deacons and elders. That's also part of the who, who's leading you. Mm-hmm. Then it has... And the what, even, since they're the ones that's doing the teaching. Yeah, right. Then it has final authority on doctrine. Mm-hmm. So if, what. if we were to ever change our statement of beliefs or that kind of thing, it would have the congregation have final authority. And then prudential matters that guard the the unity of the church, membership, uh, excuse me, money, and just our constitution bylaws. Those two mm-hmm. help guard the unity in the gospel. Mm-hmm. So membership, leadership, doctrine, and money is what our congregation has the final authority over. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so we've said, we've defined why we believe in congregationalism, namely that all Christians, all true Christians, are priests. We all have this same spirit dwelling within us. There's no hierarchy. Like Nathan as a pastor is not better than someone else that's not a pastor. Uh, we talked about that from uh, the moment of the veil being torn. Joey's going to show us uh, a moment, uh, Matthew 16, the confessors and the con- uh, confessing the true gospel. That's the why. We've defined that. And then we said what that means, congregationalism, what it congregationalism means, it uh, and practically what it looks like in the life of our church. So, Joey, just again, just to reiterate, uh, because this is an important point, um, denominationalism is sort of not a real popular thing these days. Mm-hmm. And so just show again, I, I use the story of Jesus dying, the veil being torn. Use Matthew 16 to 18 to show why we believe in the priesthood of all believer. Yeah, and I think it's the priesthood of all believer and the, the, the authority given by Jesus to the local church. Because our, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters would agree in priesthood of all believers. Mm-hmm, they would. But we're going to see how that operates differently based on we what we see Jesus giving a particularly authority to a local church church, mm-hmm. not just a group of pastors leading that church mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or bishops outside the church overseeing it and so forth. So I see this as Matthew 16. And Jesus says to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter confesses a person who confesses you are the Christ. So there we have the who and the what of the gospel. And then Jesus on earth speaks with the authority on heaven and says, yes, you got this right. Now I'm giving you the keys to go affirm the who and the what of the gospel. So confessors confessing the gospel. And we see this in Matthew 18, where we have restorative church discipline, where if, if a person begins to deny the gospel with either what they say or how they live, Jesus says, treat them as you would a Gentile tax collector. And he uses that same language. This is Matthew 18, 18, speaking to the church. 
Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that is the context of that often misquoted verse, verse 19. Yep. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them, my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered there in my name, there I am among them. So this is a church verse, because Jesus says, tell it to the church. Whatever's loosed by the church on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever's binded on earth shall be bound in heaven. And so we see Jesus teaching that. And then what's amazing is when you go to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, you see this self working it out. And this is where we get a really good picture of local church authority, because you have the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he is a part of, he planted, he started, and he says this to them. Speaking of removing somebody from their congregation for unrepentant sin. For though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. So he tells the church, this is your job to determine who is a part of your gospel fellowship. Even as the Apostle Paul, he does not take or have the authority to do it himself. So it's not another church. It's not First Baptist Jerusalem. You know, it's, it's yeah, that's uh, that's Corinthians. That's First Corinthians 5. Yeah, so that's the church at Corinth. So we've said that what is congregationalism? Congregationalism is the priesthood of believer, namely, they all have the Spirit of God within them, therefore they govern themselves. What do you mean they govern? Well, they govern the who and the what of the gospel as is evidenced by these passages that we just read. They're taking the keys, and they're making sure that they're exercising the keys on the right people in the right way, etc. Yeah. So how does this honor every member of the church? Yeah. So this is the beautiful thing that gets lost. Sometimes, yeah. So we want to honor every single believer. So therefore, uh, when we have a members meeting and we say, you know, here's Joey. This is how Joey came to faith in Christ. We talked to him. We met with him. Joey is baptized at First Baptist, you know, Lawrenceville, wherever that church was you were baptized, uh, and uh, North Wake. No, I was baptized at Shatterbrook. Shatterbrook, of course. There you go. Yeah, I knew that. Same church so, you were baptized yes. at. <laughs> Same church I was baptized. So, and I come in and I recommend him to you for membership in the life of our church. And, and he signed off a statement of beliefs in the church covenant and leadership. And so when all of you, Restoration Church, the members say, all in favor, please say aye. You're exercising your keys at that moment. We're actually honoring the spirit of God that dwells within you, the priest that you are. By your saying yes and amen, you're saying I agree. I agree that Joey is in Christ, that he is among the redeemed, as opposed to y'all just uh, not doing your job but us not honoring your priesthood by us doing it for you. That's right. You know, So we're using your eyes and your... Uh, hearts and minds to we're honoring that spirit of God within you that you are a priest and so if we were to just do it as pastors we don't we as one book says we fire our church members yeah yeah so every member of restoration church has the privilege and responsibility to make sure we proclaim and protect the gospel by affirming and overseeing the who and the what of the gospel Mm -hmm. so I'll say that again that wrapped up everything we've just said every member of restoration church has the privilege and responsibility of pro- making sure that we proclaim and protect the gospel by affirming and overseeing the who and the what of that gospel. 
Yeah, now here's what somebody may be thinking at this point. Well, yeah, Joey and Nathan, but here's the thing. When y'all recommend so-and-so, I don't know him, and most of the people in the room don't know him, so what's the point? Yep. Why don't you guys just do yep. it? Well, a couple things on that. One, we have a process set up that hopefully you've been through and you trust in. Two, this is why we send those names and hopefully pictures out beforehand. But three, this is we, there are typically at least one or two others that know the person. And so we, we won't know everybody, but just because we don't know everybody doesn't mean we can't know somebody mm-hmm. and trusting in the other brothers and sisters of our church to do this well as, alongside yeah. of us. Yeah, that's right, which is one of the reasons why we have membership introduction classes only like four or five times a year, or maybe six times a year. We want to actually intentionally leave spaces of time in between those classes so that people can get to know these people we're we're recommending. That's right. But there is a level of trust which they have for us because it's part of our job to – Oversee, which maybe is that a good shift in the conversation? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, so the the congregation has the final authority, mm-hmm. but God has given pastors to lead. So, typically, the congregation affirms and follows that leadership when necessary, redirects it. But God has given pastors, elders to lead the church. Mm-hmm. So, what is a pastor elder, Nathan? He has two offices in the Bible. We understand that the Bible teaches two offices: pastors, deacon. Deacon are servants. They're trying to help the church do the work of ministry. Pastors are overseeing it. So one Bible verse that describes the work, the nature of the work of pastors, what they do. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. So this is Paul speaking to the elders in the Ephesian church. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To do what? To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So there it is. There you see that's what that's what pastors are doing. They're trying to care for they're overseeing the life of the church uh and uh, which God purchased with his own blood. So we're overseeing the church. Uh how is it we oversee them? Well, I think in a few ways. We see it in Acts chapter 6 where you got the whole distribution problem, right? And the apostles are freed up to do two things, to preach and to pray. Right, preach and to pray. So that's the two, that's the heart of what we're trying to do is overseers are overseeing the life of the church. That's who they, that's what they're, the main ministry of their, what they're trying to do. All right. Well, what does that look like? Well, they're preaching. That is, they're teaching the word and they're praying for their people, which assumes a third thing, namely that they're getting into the life of their people, loving them, getting to know them, spending time with them, et cetera. That's right. Guarding the sheep, each and every one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's who they are. They're overseeing the life of the church and they're preaching true doctrine. They're praying for their people. They're getting to know them and love them and encouraging them towards faithfulness. So that's that's who an elder is. Now, how is it one is qualified to be one of those people? Scripture tells us. So there are three main places in Scripture where we have the qualifications for an elder laid out clearly and explicitly. You have 1 Timothy chapter 3. You have Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And then you also have 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 through 4. And so probably the most comprehensive is 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 1 through 7. So I'll just read that so you can hear it. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he might not fall in disgrace into a snare of the devil. Yeah, so there we find, uh, we've kind of surmised these things that Paul talks about in these three places with three C's. Uh, that gives us the the uh, the qualifications for who can do this work of eldering or pastoring. And by the way, we should mention that really quick. The Bible uses three different words interchangeably: a pastor, an overseer, uh, and a elder. pastor, overseer, elder. Thank you. Uh, those three words are used interchangeably, and so there's qualifications for the kinds of people that should be that. So uh, Joey just read that passage. That was First Timothy three. Uh, and so we use three C's to describe who can be uh, an elder. Yeah. So character. Yeah, you heard a lot of that. Conviction, yeah. what they believe, and capability. Can they teach God's word? Mm-hmm. And so you also notice we've been using the L pronoun. No surprise. Uh, we believe the, the office of pastor is reserved for qualified uh, males, as the the Bible teaches. So the historic teaching of the church, that's what it's always been. We need the help of, of women to help our church flourish in every way. They are Amen. gifted to teach. They are gifted Amen. to lead. They are gifted to do all these Essential. things. Uh, yeah. But just like a just like a marriage, there are defined roles and responsibilities. So inside the life of a church, which is just a larger family of God. And you can see that in First Timothy 2, which leads up to the qualification of an elder. Yeah. So why would you say that? So character, conviction, and capability. So that's who. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, that that gives us definitions as to who it might be, and you'll notice when you look at those things, with the exception of the uh, the gift of teaching, they're all pretty normal stuff. Yeah. They're just people, just men that are faithful. Yeah, I forget. It was one of the Bible scholars said the only thing remarkable about the qualifications for an elder is they're not remarkable at all. Yeah. So we are not super Christians. No. <laughs> right. Uh, we. I fail. I sin. Uh, I am not perfect, but I am by God's grace. As of this day, above reproach. That's right. Which makes it possible for me to then, and then I, you know, first uh, Titus one, I'm able to teach sound doctrine and refute those that contradict it, mm-hmm. uh, and I have the ability to communicate that in a way that is proven fruitful. Yeah. So that describes uh, what an elder is, or an overseer is, a pastor is. It describes who is qualified. And so now, Joey, unless I'm leaving something out. Let's now move to how that works at Restoration Church. So we've we've said we started congregationalism. What is that? You're guarding the who and the what of the gospel. We believe that's biblical, uh, and so therefore you're the final authority. But God has given these officers, one of whom is elder, pastor, overseer. We've talked about who is qualified to do that work: uh, men that have character, uh, competency, and conviction. And now let's get into the practicality. So here we are. Here it comes, January, the whatever. What is our members meeting again? 26th. 26th. We're at the members meeting. First off, go back to the prior elders meeting, Joey. What is it we've done even before that elders meeting? In other words, before the members meeting, before the members meeting, that first one. Like we've done a lot of work to even bring that name before them. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lengthy process that where we are evaluating character, conviction, and capability. So just I'll go down this this list of what we're doing. So character, we have a conversation with the elder, just to desire it. Does he desire it? Potential elder. Yeah. yeah. Does he desire it? Is it a healthy desire? Okay. You can have an unhealthy desire to be an elder. Yeah. And so we have that. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. So we have to we want to make sure they are aspiring. That's right. And so then we also have a conversation to address any known concerns or issues. There might be something we just don't know that we have to ask about. 
Uh, then we have a conversation with getting really specific there. Hey, we've noticed this. What's up with that? Right. Whereas we might sort of let it slide if it's doesn't you know if we don't see any other unfaithfulness. But yep. there we're going to get really specific. That's right. And then we have a conversation with the prospective elder's wife. Mm. Uh, we do not want to recommend to the congregation if his own wife is not going to affirm he's qualified. Can you imagine the awkwardness at that member's <laughs> meeting? Uh, and then we also have a conversation with disciples or community group members or others that are in their life. And just see, hey, is there anything that we're missing about his character that you would want a red flag? And so there's a lot of conversations with the prospective elder personally and then those in his life. And that's not one or two conversations. That's normally quite a number of conversations. That's right. Yeah. So then we move on – or not move on, but at the same time we're doing uh, evaluation of conviction. So they read a book, Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons by Thabiti Anyabwile. We give it to them. When you're done, let us know what you disagree with or where you think you, you're not qualified. Or the opposite. We'll just that's say, right. is there anything you disagree in there? That's right. And so then we have them read and review our statement of faith, and then there's an elder affirmation of faith that is just longer and more robust that they also read, and as as well as all of the position papers of Restoration Church. So position papers on baptism, Lord's Supper, expositional preaching, singing, all these things that is the way our church operates uh, because there's a level of unity the elders need to have. We can't be having conversations about is expositional preaching what we want to do. There's too many other things that we have to give our life to. It's not uniformity. Let's be clear about yeah. that. It's not uni- Not everybody has to be like Nathan, but yeah. there is unity. There's not uniformity, but there is unity amongst the centuries. Yeah. yeah, and then just given where we live, we, we talk directly if there's any questions about particular cultural views, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in this time and age to be around sexuality, sanctity of human life, those types of issues where we would need to have unity on. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And then we have capability. So can he teach? So at this point, they've probably taught a T2 or a community group. So that's happening. But we, if we can, this doesn't have to happen. But if we can, we will have the elder publicly teach on a Sunday morning. That can happen in a T2. It can happen through leading service, facilitating service. And it can also happen through preaching, whether on a Sunday or a Good Friday or a Christmas service as well. Uh, and then we also have the prospective elder attend elder meetings just to get his input. On things, and we will also have a conversation or two where we will ask him to defend, refute heretical teaching. So Titus tells him he needs to be able to rebuke those who contradict healthy doctrine. So we'll say, you know, defend the Bible is the word of God. Yeah. Defend that God is triune, yeah. uh, and see if they can reason out. Yeah. You know, not with the who and the what the gospel can they can they can they identify yeah. that pretty quickly. That's right. Yeah. Then after that, only after all that happens. And the elders agree and everybody – like then we make the recommendation to the congregation. Yeah, and I should mention one other thing that we didn't mention in there. This, these conversations are happening, first off, at some level with every male member of our church. Yeah. Uh, but secondly, uh, there's no sort of elder training program we have per se. All we're doing is as overseers, we're just sort of watching the flock. And if we see one or two or three or four or five or six men sort of constantly shepherding people, doing the kinds of work of a pastor, of an overseer – they're going to naturally rise to our attention, which then brings us into all those things that you just yeah. said. Yeah, we don't make elders. God, it's clear, Ephesians 4, God gives elders to the church. Mm-hmm. Doesn't I mean we shouldn't try to equip and do those things, of but course, ultimately of yeah. uh, we recognize who God has brought. So again, only after all we've done all of that do we bring the, con- the congregation, make yeah. it a public recommendation. So you think about that. That that was the last members meeting we had whenever that was. Yep. In November, I think it was. That's when correct. we brought Chris Chris's name up to the attention. So all of that stuff was done. And then now, so Joey just sort of walked them through what's going on between 
that last members meeting in November and January. Yeah, so we presented Chris. We recommended Chris as an elder, and we told you if you have questions or concerns, go talk to Chris or talk to one of the elders. Because, again, this is this is your church, beloved. Mm-hmm. You you have the final earthly authority when it comes to the leaders of our church. Because if, if Chris becomes an elder, God's word says you should submit to him. You should have a voice in that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I know I know Chris has been asked some questions. Uh, I've been asked a few questions, and that's that's good. Um, again, not looking for perfection, but are there things that would make him disqualified? Um, and so assuming all that continues to go well, and it has, we would come to the next members meeting and say, all right, did, did we miss anything? No? Okay, well then who's in favor of affirming Chris as an elder of Restoration Church? Mm-hmm. And then he would be affirmed, and then we'd do a public installation at one of our Sunday services. Yeah, but technically that members meeting when he's – you know, voted on. He, he is a pastor. He's a pastor so of the church. You ever wondered how does somebody become a pastor? Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's affirmed as a pastor. He has authority in the life of our church, and so you know, I like to explain it. So in some ways, you're sort of handing the keys to the car to the pastor. So that's why we're trying to be deliberate. That's why we've got these processes. You know, Paul says in that qualification, "Don't be quick to lay on of hands." So we're trying to walk this out slowly and deliberately, so that Jesus's church would be cared for carefully. Yeah. Very practically speaking, Nathan, what does a life, so you and I uh, have the privilege of being paid to do this, but our other brothers have one of the hardest jobs in the world, which is they work a full-time job and serve as a pastor of the church, and their their wives create room for them doing that. The wives of elders, God bless you. You are amazing. Thank you for serving our church in so many unseen ways yep. and everything else. But what, do, what, what are some of the responsibilities when person becomes an elder, particularly a lay elder, a non-paid elder of Restoration Church. What is the rhythm of their life? Yeah, and since you mentioned uh, elders and married, we we obviously would not require, I don't think the Bible requires you to be married. No. That's just oftentimes the case. But uh, Paul wasn't married. He was an elder. Uh, So what does it look like in the life of our church? So more formally, it's just a couple things. One, we have two, uh, normally it's two elders meetings a month, so they're required to be at those. Uh, and then secondly, from those, when it comes to membership uh, discussions, uh, they're always leading those. And so they're, we're all sort of assigned different people to go and talk to and get to know and do membership. So that's when us that's us guarding the who and the what, trying to go talk to them, see if those people understand. And then thirdly, at members' meetings, sometimes they'll have to report on those people that they interviewed and those kinds of things. But then that's the kind of more formal stuff. Am I missing anything there? No. They'll, I mean, they'll, they'll help. We'll lean on them more heavily to help lead service and those types of there things. Go. That's true. Preach yep. on occasion. Yep. Other people will do it that are not elders, but we'll lean more heavily on our elders to help carry that load. That's true. Yeah, that'd be a fourth thing that more formally. And But honestly, most of their work is more informal. That's the bulk of their work. So, you know, every time we do an elders meeting, we always start with prayer. And we walk through a, a couple, three pages of our membership uh, directory, and we just give updates as best we can tell. And all of us, all all the elders are just sort of saying, yeah, this guy's doing this, this guy's doing that. And oftentimes, by the grace of God, all of us just sort of have proximity to a few people. And so most of their work is just spending time with other people in the life of the church, loving them, encouraging them, overseeing them, caring for the church of God, praying with them, teaching them. So teaching is not just from the front. So teaching them at dinner tables and teaching them in, you know, at restaurants and praying for them and caring for them. And then sometimes when there's more difficult things going on, they'll, they'll be roped in for biblical counseling, um, for other more acute care. They'll be roped in for stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they do. That's it. So anything else to add on this piece of it? I 
just am so thankful to God for these uh, lay elders. Um, they have just as much authority as I and you do. Mm-hmm. And, man, these guys are just amazing men. And as you said, their wives, just by t- up until this point, I think we've always had married elders. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, their wives are incredibly amazing women. Uh, yeah, quite frankly, I think all of our elders would agree that our wives are a lot more impressive than we are. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I'm just really thankful for these men. They do a lot of hard work for the yeah. church that goes unseen. And beloved, you make it a joy to pastor. Amen. Hebrews thirteen seven uh, thirteen seventeen says, "Be a joy to pastor," and you are a joy to pastor. So we're we count on a great privilege that we get to pastor this church mm-hmm. with these members at this time. So we're thankful, and may God continue to give us unity in Christ as we treasure Him together. Mm-hmm.